0: Well, hey, good morning to you, Grace. It's great to see you this morning. Would you open your Bibles today to the book of Matthew? Matthew chapter 1. Matthew chapter 1. Today's going to seem a little bit like spiritual whiplash <laughs> for us because for the last seven weeks, it's been politics, politics, politics. Well, not really politics, but more, you know, uh, things have been dragged into the political realm. And so now we're moving from politics to Christmas from politics to baby Jesus, from, from politics to the wise men, from politics to angels and, and shepherds <laughs> and Mary and Joseph. And so today might seem a little bit whiplashy, but would you turn in your Bibles to the book of Matthew, Matthew chapter 1? I'll give you a few minutes to find it because that is where, uh, one of the places where Jesus' birth is, is um, clarified. Uh, thank you for being here. This is our second service. We added shade sales. I don't know if you noticed. We added more shade sales. So more shade for everybody. Now there's more shade up front. I'm not pointing any fingers, but there's shade all over the place now. So I want to welcome those of you on our live stream too. I uh, hope you turn in your Bibles to the book of Matthew. We're going to be in the in the book of Matthew pretty much the entire day. One other place we're going to look today. Uh, If you're looking to come to Grace sometime, you're not really sure which service to come to, come to our second service. There's way way more room to spread out around here uh, during our second service. Um, Since the whole pandemic started, you know, and all of COVID, the news has taught us to be like experts at at predictions you know experts at statistical probabilities experts at looking at the odds you know what i'm talking about you know if if you're if you're a part of this category you're of this age and you have these pre-existing conditions and all that then you have a 2% chance of having a severe reaction to covid but if you're over here in this list of categories, if you're under 21, if you have no pre-existing conditions, if you live in an igloo, if you drive a Prius to you work, know, like you know, like all those things. Um, then you have like a one in a million chance. You've like won the COVID immunity idol and you have, you, you have tremendous odds. And so based on these odds... You know, based on the statistical probability, based on the chances that people are making decisions for their lives. So if you're over here and, and you're under 21 and you live in an igloo and you drive a Prius, then you're like, well, you know, I mean, the odds of, of me having a severe reaction are, are pretty low. And so I don't mind going to the restaurant to pick up my food. Um, I'll get it on the airplane. Instead of driving on vacation, I'll fly uh, on vacation. But if you're over here... If you're in this other statistical probability category, like, well, maybe I'm going to drive instead of fly. don't want to get on a tube with everybody coughing. And and so I'll have my my food delivered to me instead of going out and getting it. So this is like the first time in our human history, at least, I don't know, human history, but in in my lifetime, that people are making decisions based on statistical probabilities. Before, we didn't care. (laughs) Before... It didn't matter. We all got on the roads. I mean, Southern California has some of the most dangerous roads. Some of our freeways are on the list of most dangerous roads in the United States. And we didn't care one bit. We got in our cars and we drove 90 miles an hour down those We never cared before, but for some reason now we do. And so since now we started to live our life based on statistical probabilities, I brought some statistics with me. For Americans, there is a one in a million chance of dying from a non-natural cause. So asteroid falling out of the sky and landing on you or getting electrocuted or getting attacked by a bear coming out of the corner when you go over to AM, PM. You know, like stuff like that, right? One in a million, Okay, Now there is a five- in 1 million chance. So five times the odds of dying under anesthesia. Now those are still great odds. The chances are really good in your favor, but still five times that of the first one. But then the odds get a little worse. Seven in 1 million people will die from skydiving. right? And if you think skydiving is dangerous, 200 in a million so the odds are even worse 200 in a million women will die while giving childbirth those are still great odds those are still really good chances of you living through those things and so that's why people go to surgery and they go to under anesthesia even when it's elective they'll do it because the odds are so good. That's why people pay good money to jump out of a perfectly good airplane <laughs> because the odds are ever in their favor. The, the, the statistical probabilities of them living through that are very good, and that's why women sign up to have multiple kids even though there is a chance of death because the probabilities are so low. And so today, though, I thought I'd bring some statistical probabilities surrounding the Bible surrounding scripture. The chances of one man, of one person, fulfilling just eight predictions in the Bible, one person fulfilling eight predictions in the Bible later on, could be seen in this statistic. One out of 100 quadrillion That is 10 to the 17th power. That is 17 zeros. One in 100 quadrillion of one person fulfilling just eight prophecies. Just eight prophecies in the Old Testament. Later on, a man fulfilling just eight of those prophecies. So something is written about a person in the Old Testament. Okay? So like this person is going to drive a Nissan truck and this person is going to be born in San Bernardino Community Hospital and this person is going to have skinny eyes, but he's going to be really handsome. That's in the prophecy, right? He's going to get a business degree and yet he's going to be a pastor. He is going to live in Riverside and have a wife and two kids in Riverside. He is going to be born 1,231 years from now, and he's going to be born to a school teacher, mom, and a school administrator, dad. Eight prophecies. Just that you're like, whoa, those are oddly specific. <laughs> That's. The chances of that actually happening 1,231 years from now is very low. That statistic is written as 1 in 100 quadrillion. You all would take that bet you all would say, I'm going to bet that that guy isn't going to show up in a Nissan truck with skinny eyes 1,231 years from now. You'd say, okay, I'm going to bet that won't happen. One in 100 quadrillion. Now, of course, you know that that prophecy is not in the Old Testament, but the Bible does have other prophecies, other predictions about a baby that is going to be born. And it is not just eight prophecies not just 8 predictions 8 is written like this 17 zeros 100 quadrillion it's not just 48 48 predictions in the old testament that would be fulfilled in in by one person would be written like this it is 10 to the 157th power 100 hundred and fifty. Zeros. This is considered a statistical impossibility. Statistically, the chances of this occurring is statistically at least impossible for just 48 prophecies being fulfilled. And yet, this person did not fulfill eight, did not fulfill 48, but fulfilled over 300 predictions in the old testament and people completely understand making decisions in their life based on statistical probabilities in every other part of their life these days except when it comes to christianity because jesus fulfilled over 300 prophecies over 300 predictions were fulfilled meaning came true when jesus christ was born that number The the number of 300 being fulfilled is written like this. This is six times, six times the statistical impossibility. It It is 10 to the 981st power, 981 zeros. And so since we're basing our life based on statistical probabilities, maybe we should look at the person that fulfilled these and did something that is six times impossible. And yet he did it. And yet it happened. And so maybe you're a little skeptical about the things of the Bible. Maybe you're not sure if all of these things are really true. This is for you. Maybe you are confident in the Bible, but you're, just, you're not sure why you're confident in the Bible. Well, this series is for you. Uh, this week is Thanksgiving week. I know we never thought we'd make it here, you know? <laughs> and the, Did you ever think we'd make it to Thanksgiving week? Well, here we are. It's Thanksgiving week. That means this coming Friday is Black Friday. So I'm going to pray for all of you who are going to get in lines to fight over a $20 80-inch TV. <laughs> but over the next five weeks, we are going to look at prophecies. That's what these predictions in the Old Testament are called. They're called prophecies about the future. And so we're going from politics to prophecy. I know it kind of seems like whiplash, and it is a little bit. And so I want to show you the prophecies that we're going to look at today. This Messiah, this baby, will have some parts of the DNA it predicts his DNA. First, he will have Abraham's DNA. Abraham, you know, Father Abraham had many sons. That, that, that Abraham. Isaac, Isaac's DNA will be in this baby that is born. Jacob's DNA will be in this baby that is born. And David, you know, King David, uh, David and Goliath, David and Bathsheba, yeah, yeah, that, that David... That David will have his blood flowing through this future, not all the rest of his family tree, but a very specific person is going to to be a forerunner. Now, it's possible that you're thinking, "Eh, this sounds boring. (laughs) Prophecy is boring. I get it. I get the perspective that this might feel a little boring to you. But consider this your reassurance that everything in the Bible is true and accurate. That's what these next five weeks will be. Your reassurance that everything in the Bible is accurate, that that there is veracity to what we read. Because there's going to be a time in the future when there's going to be something that kind of comes up in the back of the mind and you're going to doubt maybe something in Scripture. You're going to wonder if it's really true. Your friend has some sort of Facebook post that makes you doubt something that the Bible is true. And so consider this your, your preparation for that time. Maybe you don't need this now but you will need it in the future. There will be a time in the future where you will need this to know that the Bible is true and accurate. This is like your flu shot. You know, People get the flu shot just because they know sometime in the future they're going to get the flu, and so they just don't want it to be as bad, and so they get the flu shot. And those people who don't get the flu shot, they want it to be really bad. You're asking for it. (laughs) This is like putting money in the bank. This is like putting money in the bank like, that's boring, putting money in the bank. Let's go spend it. Let's go buy a car. Let's go on vacation. But you know you're going to need that money in the future. You don't need it right now, and so you take it and you put it in the bank. There's going to be a time in the future where you are going to need it, and so then you go and you withdraw. it. And so consider this, putting some spiritual money in the bank. Whenever you doubt the veracity of Scripture, you can come back and remember, no, no, no. It's true, even because I know that Jesus fulfilled over 300 prophecies. Now, today we're not doing 300. Today we are doing five. These five, the five that I've shown you. So I I asked you to turn your Bibles to the book of Matthew. So hopefully by now you have found the book of Matthew. Matthew is like Jesus' 23 and me report. You know, 23 and me. Like, you know, you go to Target, and you buy the little 23andMe DNA box, and you send some DNA into 23andMe, and they send you back a report, and it and it shows you all of the places around the world where your DNA is from. And so this is like Jesus's 23andMe report. And then it kind of merges with Jesus's Ancestry.com family tree. That's what we are reading today. Jesus's 23andMe and Ancestry.com kind of all wrapped up together in Genesis chapter one. So let's Read this Genesis chapter one, beginning at verse one. The record of the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac. Isaac was the father of Jacob. Jacob was the father of Judah and his brothers, and on and on and on. Look at verse three and look at verse four. And you think if you think I'm going to read all of those names, you are crazy. You're not doing it, and neither am I. But these are all of the names that are on Ancestry.com for Jesus' family tree. Okay? And these are called genealogies. And you might wonder, what in the world are genealogies for in the Bible? They're so boring. I don't know any of the names in there. I, I can't pronounce half the names in there. But we discover some very interesting things about Jesus' DNA in this genealogy. And they might not seem like big deals to you at all. And I get it. But when you realize that the things that are written here were predicted 2,000 years ahead, maybe they carry a little bit more weight. And so we move all the way through then to verse 9 and 10 and 11 and 12 and 13 and 14 and 15. And then we get to verse 16. Look down at verse 16. Finally, we get to some names that maybe you know again. Matthew chapter 1, verse 16, Jacob was the father of Joseph. Aha, we know Joseph, who was the husband of Mary. Aha, we know Mary, by whom Jesus was born, who is called the Messiah. So all the generations from Abraham to David are 14 generations. And from David to the deportation to Babylon, 14 generations. And from the deportation to Babylon, To the Messiah, 14 generations. Matthew makes sure in this one last verse, verse 17, he kind of encapsulates everything that he started with, all the way from Abraham in verse 1, all the way down to Mary and Joseph and Jesus, all the way down at verse 16. He makes sure that we know that God's grace is through it all in this one last verse. He paints like a timeline over human history, God's grace for people. And I know sometimes it's hard for us to imagine the timeline that is here. Uh, And so I like pictures, maybe you like pictures, and so I put the timeline together so that maybe we can kind of imagine it together a little bit. And so first he says in verse 17, so all the generations from Abraham to David are 14 generations. Okay, so here we have from Abraham to David, 14 generations. Now, I get it. It's not that Abraham, okay? It's a different Abraham, okay? But I didn't have a picture of Abraham. They didn't have any cell phones then. This is the best one I could get of of Abraham Lincoln. So from Abraham of Old Testament all the way through David of the Old Testament, that is 14 generations. Now, some of the things that occurred during that time, you have Moses and you have Joshua and you have the judges during this time. You have the enslavement in Egypt, you know, Pharaoh, and then ultimately the, the enslavement in Egypt, and then Moses let my people go, wandering in the desert, and then finally getting to the promised land. These are all the things that occur during these 14 generations of, of time. And Matthew shows us this because he's saying God in his grace is working out all of the details. To make sure that the Messiah would come exactly, exactly when it was predicted. From the right bloodlines, from the right people, had to be born at the right times, in the right place, just so that it would all be working out perfectly for God's program to fulfill all these prophecies. And so God in his grace is working out all the details, even if all these And so God in his grace is working out all the details, even if all the people didn't even understand it. You know, we said last week in the last sermon of our, um, of our political series, we said that God puts people in high places so that God can work out his program even if we can't fathom it. And so now we see that in real life. Now we see God putting, putting all of these people, Abraham and, and Moses, and all these people in the exact right order being born in exactly the right place. The, the, the people of Israel had no clue what God is doing. They're blaming God for the enslavement. They're blame, blaming God for, for wandering in the, in the wilderness. They're not even blaming God anymore. They're blaming Moses for wandering in the desert. They're blaming everybody, but they have no idea that God's grace is seen during all of this time because it was to work out so that the Messiah would come in exactly the right time that was predicted. But God doesn't stop right there with David. He continues on in verse 17. It says, from David to the deportation in Babylon. So this is the era where Israel wanted a human king. You know, they were tired of having God as their, you know, God is our king. We want a human king. And so at this point, the, the nation of Israel started to kind of go down the swirly tubes of, of apostasy, falling away from, from God. And it got so bad, I remember in our study of Daniel two summers ago, that in Daniel, ultimately, Babylon comes in and destroys Jerusalem. It blows it up. And they end up kidnapping the best and the brightest, and they deport them 500 miles away to Babylon. They take hostages. And you remember who they were? Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, and a lot of other people that are unnamed the best and the brightest godly people that are taken out of Jerusalem and taken all the way to Babylon. That's what this is referring to. That's what Matthew is referring to. And though Israel had no idea what was going on, you know, you have Nebuchadnezzar, evil. I mean, the the way he liked to torture people for the death penalty. And yet, God put people in high positions to work out His program, even if we couldn't fathom it. And so this is just a picture of God's grace throughout all of these years, not just 14 generations. Now we're at 28 generations moving throughout history. God working all the details out exactly so that the Messiah could be born exactly when He was predicted to do that. But this isn't it. He doesn't end in Babylon. He says, And from the deportation to Babylon, to the Messiah, another 14 generations. This is the the time in Israel's history where there was, there's not much known really about Israel. Captivity, exile, that's known as Israel's dark ages. We don't know much about Israel during this time. As a matter of fact, in Matthew chapter 1, all of the names mentioned from verse 12 through verse 16. So in verse 12, starting at uh, Shelatiel, all the way down to uh, the father of Joseph, are not mentioned anywhere else in Scripture. We, d- we know nothing of them. Why? Because it was a very dark time in Israel's history, and we, we really know very little about it. And yet, none of the surprised God. Even though they were dispersed around, even though they were under some very brutal oppressors, captors, God was working through every single thing throughout human history in his grace. Nobody else knew it. It's so the Messiah throughout human history in his grace. Nobody else knew it. It's so the Messiah could be born on exactly the right day, exactly the right time under the exact right circumstances with everybody's DNA flowing through his body as promised exactly when he said it was going to happen. And so God's grace is the middle of human history. Throughout human history, even though nobody could understand it or fathom it, God was working throughout all of the human history. Maybe you didn't even really, you didn't know all that was in one verse. I mean, nobody reads Matthew chapter one on Christmas Eve. (laughs) Who reads genealogies during Christmas Eve? But look at exactly what happens when we look at God's provision for humanity throughout the ages. I told you we're going to look at some prophecies. And there are lots of prophecies that are fulfilled here in Matthew, but I've picked five. I've picked five of those prophecies. Go all the way back to verse 1. Verse 1, it says, The record of the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. And so now in verse 2, we have Abraham is the father of Isaac. And so that's the first prophecy that, that Abraham would be, Abrahamic blood be running through the Messiah. And that prophecy goes all the way back to the book of Genesis. Way back to the book of Genesis. Genesis chapter 12, verse 3. This is 1,900 years before Jesus is born. 1,900. What are the chances? And this is what... God says in Genesis chapter 12, he says, Now the Lord said to Abram, I will bless those who bless you, and the ones and the one who curses you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. The nations are going to be blessed through Abraham's lineage, and that was predicted 1,900 years before Jesus was born, and he was the fulfillment or is the fulfillment to that promise. And the way that we know that this is the fulfillment to that promise you're like, "Well, that verse doesn't really say, you know, the skeptics would say, well, that verse doesn't really say that that's referring to somebody who's going to be born in the future." Well, the writer of Acts clarified this exact event 1900 years before, now 1900 years later in the book of Acts this is what the book of Acts says. The book of Acts says, It is you who are the sons of the prophets and of the covenant which God made with your fathers, saying to Abraham. The writer here is saying, uh, Hey, um, remember? R- remember what God said to Abraham 1,900 years ago? And the people are like, No. <laughs> we don't remember. That was a long time ago. And so he quotes it. And in your seed, all the families on earth shall be blessed. This is quoting Genesis, what God said to Abraham. And then it says, For you first God raised up his servant and sent him to bless you by turning every one of you from your wicked ways. The birth of Jesus was a fulfillment of what God promised to Abraham 1,900 years earlier fulfilled prophecy. It's a prediction that actually came true. Second prophecy, go back to Matthew chapter 2, Matthew chapter 1 verse 2. Not only does it say Abraham, but it also says then Abraham was the father of Isaac. Isaac is the father of Jacob. So Isaac is a part of the DNA, a part of the lineage, a part of the the family tree of Jesus. And so you go back to the book of Genesis, about 1,700 years when this was written in Genesis chapter 17. And Genesis chapter 17, verse 19 says, But God said, Sarah, your wife will bear you a son, and you shall call his name Isaac. And I will establish my covenant with him for an everlasting covenant for his descendants after him. That, that Isaac's descendants would, would be blessed. And, of course, they were blessed. They were blessed through the person of Jesus, the Messiah that came to take away the sins of the world. And now we have Isaac as a part of the DNA of this baby that was born predicted 1,700 years ahead. Third prophecy, right here in verse 2 of Matthew chapter 1. Not only does it say Abraham, the father of Isaac, not only is it Isaac, but Isaac is also the father of Jacob. Now, this is just saying that these are all a part of the people that are a part of Jesus' family tree. And so here we have, all the way back in Genesis, 1,000, 500 years before Jesus being born, in Genesis 28, verse 14, we see the promise that, that God made to Jacob. It says this, Your descendants will also be like the dust of the earth, meaning there's going to be a ton of descendants. And you will spread out to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. And in you and in your descendants shall all the families of the earth be blessed the all the nations of the earth are going to be blessed through offspring of jacob and of course we see that then fulfilled in matthew chapter 1 verse 2 now there's a fourth prophecy that i mentioned to you and that was that the messiah was going to have the dna of david king david david and Bathsheba, david and goliath that david and so, if you're up for it, turn in your Bibles to 1 Chronicles 17. First Chronicles is way in the left in your Bible. Keep a thumb in Matthew if you're up for it. You don't have to turn there. I'll have it up on the screen, too. But Chronicles, 1 Chronicles chapter 17. If you remember the life of David at all, you'll know that, uh, that Nathan, the prophet, spoke to David some prophecies, some predictions, and... In several places, it recounts those per- predictions that Nathan made to David about David's lineage, about David's uh, f- future offspring. And so Nathan in Chronicles, 1 Chronicles chapter 17, clarifies some, pr- some predictions about what's going to happen to David's line. And so in verse 10, the second part of verse 10, in my Bible, they're kind of separated because it's a a new thought. In the second part of verse 10, it says, moreover, I tell you that the Lord will build a house for you. You remember that David wanted to build God's house. David wanted to build a temple for God, but God said, no, sorry, you're a man of war. You can't build my house. Uh, Someone else is gonna build my house. But God says, I am going to build a house for you. He's saying, I'm gonna build a dynasty for you. I'm going to build a dynasty that will last for eternity. That's what we're going to see in just a minute. In verse 11, then, it says, When your days are fulfilled, that you must go to be with your fathers, meaning when you die, (laughs) when you die and you're in your grave like the rest of your family, then I will set up one of your descendants after you, "...who will be from your sons, and I will establish his kingdom." When I, when you die, David, there's going to be someone else that comes after, after you, a part of your lineage, they're going to have your DNA, and I am going to establish their kingdom. Verse 12. In verse 12 and 13, it clarifies a little bit about who that is. "...and he shall build me a house, and I will establish his throne forever." And I will be his father, and he shall be my son, and, and I will not I will not take my favor away from him as I took it away from him who was before you. In in Jewish thought, as they heard all this, that they they believed that the Son had the full character of the of the father. You know, the the father and the son are in essence the same. And of course, that's exactly who Jesus is. Jesus is, is God incarnate, God in the flesh. God the Father and God the Son, they are both God. The Son is simply uh, the essence of the Father. And so then in verse 14, it says, But I will settle him in my house, my kingdom forever, and his throne will be established forever. So this Jesus, this Messiah, this person that's being predicted here, see, now we know who this is. Now we know who's being prophesied, uh, predicted about. Now David didn't know all the details. Nathan didn't know all the details. Now we can look back and know a little bit more of the details. And this turned out to be Jesus is who is being predicted here. And the Bible says that Jesus is going to come back at his second coming and he's going to establish his kingdom. He's going to be king of the entire world, president of the entire world, and he is going to sit on David's throne. He's going to sit on David. He's not going to sit on anybody else's throne. He's not going to sit on your throne. He's, going to sit, he's not going to sit on Jesus's throne. He's going to sit on the Davidic throne. This is, some, this is a prediction, a prophecy, that has not been fulfilled yet. There are many prophecies that we have not seen fulfillment of yet, but we will. But this one has not been fulfilled yet. But if Jesus has fulfilled 300 of them just in his birth, six times that of a statistical improbability, what are the chances of Jesus fulfilling this one too, of sitting on the Davidic throne and God promising, David, I got you covered. There's a future dynasty that will have your blood in, you, in, in him that will set up an eternal kingdom. And Jesus will reign on earth for a thousand years, the millennial kingdom being an ultimate fulfillment of all the promises that God has made to Israel throughout the Old Testament. Now, of course, we get to benefit from it too. But a complete fulfillment of all the promises that God has made during that time. And this prediction in Chronicles is 1,000 years before Jesus is born. And to date, 3,000 years before Jesus takes the Davidic throne. I just want you to know that Jesus is not on David's throne right now. Some people believe that that Jesus is on David's throne right now, and we are somehow in some sort of um, current tribulation time period or in a current millennial kingdom where Jesus is reigning from David's throne. That is not the case. Jesus will come back and sit on David's throne in the future, in real life. As they say. And all of this is exactly as predicted in the book of Matthew. If you go back to Matthew and chapter one again, in Matthew chapter one, in, in verse one, it says, The record of the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Now that's weird. Why would you say the son of David? Because David David comes after Abraham. That's a weird order. But look down in verse 6. In verse 6 says, As a part of the family tree, as a part of the name of Jesus, Jesus was the father of David the king, and David was the father of Solomon by Bathsheba, who had been the wife of Uriah. And so we see all of the predictions that Nathan made all the way back in Chronicles. 1,000 years! What are the chances? Well, he fulfilled it when he was born. In Bethlehem, And so one of the reasons that genealogies exist in the Bible, you're wondering why are they there? It is merely to confirm that the promises that God make, made actually happened, that they actually came true. Or I guess they could be used to confirm that they didn't happen. And so that's why we can be confident in knowing that the Bible is true and accurate, because all of those predictions made thousands of years ahead of time are fulfilled here even in just one Chapter. Now there's a fifth prophecy that I mentioned to you, and that was that the Messiah would be preceded by a very specific person. Okay, I know that we've already got a lot of people. We've got Abraham, we got we have Isaac, we have Jacob, and if we read through this, there's there's a ton of them Judah, and it just goes on and on and on and on and on. So I know that there are a lot of people in his DNA, but there's gonna be a very specific person who is going to point out who the Messiah is. And all the way back in Isaiah, the book of Isaiah, which is 700 years before Jesus is born, it describes a person, a voice, calling this. Clear the way for the Lord in the wilderness. Make smooth in the desert a highway for our God. Let every valley be lifted up and every mountain and hill be made low, and let the rough ground become a plain, and the rugged terrain a broad valley. This is describing a person that is pointing out, here is the Messiah. And then, in an amazing, this is miraculous way, in the book of John, John chapter 40, or John chapter 1, John the Baptist says, I am a voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord. John the Baptist says, I am that dude. It was predicted 700 years earlier, and now I am him. And you're like, well, but anybody could claim to be that. Anybody could claim to be the one pointing out the Messiah. Anybody could have. True, except... John the Baptist was doing exactly what he said he was doing. He was pointing out who the Messiah was. Now, why do we call John the Baptist, John the Baptist? It's not because his middle name is The, and his last name is Baptist. (laughs) The reason we call him John the Baptist is because we have to differentiate him from the Apostle John, who wrote parts of the Bible here. And so we call him John the Baptist. And he was doing that. He was baptizing people with the baptism of repentance. This is not Christian baptism. It's something different. There are many kinds of baptism in the Bible. It's important that you know which baptisms are Christian baptisms and what baptisms are different. But he was baptizing people in the baptism of repentance. And he was essentially saying, okay, guys, be ready. Be looking out for the Messiah. The Messiah is coming. Look for him. Be ready for him. Be ready to follow him. I'll even point him out to you. And people are saying, okay, I'm going to do that. And, and And John the Baptist baptizes them in the baptism of repentance. Okay, here we are. We're waiting for the Messiah. That's exactly what he was doing. And so when he said, I am that voice, everybody's like, okay, (laughs) we believe it. You are doing that. That's why, you know, when when Jesus walks up to some of those apostles, you know, walks up and, and all of a sudden, you know, walks up to Peter or Andrew and says, hey, follow me. And they all of a sudden drop their nets and just follow him. What would make somebody just leave their job instantly, you know, leave their job leave their wife behind. See, I'm going to go follow this homeless dude. Okay, let's go. What would make someone do that? A forerunner, a person saying, this is the one, follow him. You've been prepared to follow him, now you follow him. That's what would make somebody do that. And of course, Peter and Andrew, the other apostles were ready. They were waiting for him. They didn't have to be convinced. They were already convinced by John the Baptist that John the Baptist would point him out to him. They would know him. And there you go. And John the Baptist said, this is the Messiah. And so here are the here are the prophecies that we just looked at today. Here are the five that Abraham's DNA would be in this baby that is born. Isaac's DNA would be in the baby that is born. Jacob's DNA would be in the baby that is born. David's DNA dna would be in the baby that is born and there would be a forerunner that preceded him you're like man that is oddly specific (laughs) what are the chances well we've looked at the chances of that happening now we've looked at five and over the next four weeks we'll look at more of them we won't get to 300 sorry what are the chances nobody would have nobody would have guessed how God was going to work those things out. How did God work all those things out? Throughout the ages. All the way from Abraham Lincoln to David. <laughs> from David into the, into the hostility of Babylon and being taken hostage, all the way through to the birth of Jesus. God was working in his grace through it all so that the Messiah, this one that was predicted, would be born exactly on the right. There are are so many specific prophecies. We'll get to it in a few weeks, but how how did the, the wise men know to go outside and look up in the sky to look for a star? How did they know what night to do that? Because of the specificity, the clarity of prophecy in Scripture. That's how. Scripture is so clear over 300 prophecies and God determined who was going to be born and who was going to die and where they were going to be born and where they were going to die and who they were going to marry and what children they were going to have throughout human history. Some evil leaders, some wonderful godly leaders and everybody's wondering what in the world is happening? Well, God puts people in high positions so that he can work out his program even if we can't fathom it. And so God in his grace was caring for humanity throughout history so that the Messiah could be born, one, but not just born, oh, well, I missed, I missed one marriage and someone got divorced, and they married somebody else, and then, then, then well, I kind of missed some of the things, none of that. Exact, perfect fulfillment of these 300 predictions. That is six times a statistical improbability. 10 to the 981st power. What are the chances? It's impossible. It's six times impossible, and yet Jesus did it. And so this is what I mean by this series is kind of some money in the bank for you. There's going to be a time in the future when someone's going to say something to you where you can kind of maybe doubt the veracity, the accuracy of Scripture at some point in time. And now you know, you know of at least five. And by the end of this series, you'll know quite a few more of promises that God made. And if he kept all of those, if he kept all 300, just of the ones that he made about Jesus, think of the other promises that he's made, other the other predictions, like he will forgive sin. Did you know that that's a prediction? That's a prophecy that he will forgive your sin. That's a promise made in the Bible. The Bible even tells us how he's going to do it. He sends Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, the the one with the exact essence as God the Father, God in the person, Jesus Christ, the second person of the Trinity. And when he comes and he's born in Bethlehem, he lives a perfect life, meaning he never sins. He never disobeys his mom. He never says no to his dad. He never drives over the speed limit when he gets his permit. Nothing. His entire life. So when he goes to the cross in his early 30s, he has never sinned one time. He's never looked at a woman with lust. He's never lied to his boss. He's never stolen from his boss by, by surfing the Internet instead of working, even for five minutes. And so when Jesus is dying on the cross... He's paying for our sin, not for his own. You know, the Bible says the wages of sin is death. Any person that has done something wrong or said something wrong or thought something wrong, the spiritual consequences are eternal separation from God because we are unholy. You're like, yeah, but I'm better than Hitler or I'm better than the person I'm sitting next to. (laughs) I don't know which one. But see, the point is not a comparison. The point is a comparison to God the Father who is holy, who is righteous. And I think we'd all admit that we're not righteous. And so now we have righteousness on the cross who is paying for the sins of those of us who could never pay for our own sin. So as Jesus is dying there, his blood is pouring out, this is a perfect sacrifice, perfection, paying for the imperfect. Three days later, he rises from the grave, proving that he is God, proving to those of you who are skeptics that, uh, that he really is God. He can do what he promises to do, that he will forgive sin. Dude, that's a prediction. That's a promise. Y- you, you may not feel it right now, and you may not know it right now, but that is a promise that your sin will be forgiven and you'll have eternity in heaven when you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. That's a promise. Is he going to keep that promise? I mean, he kept 300 of them, six times, the, six times impossible. What are the chances of him keeping that one of your sin being forgiven? The other promises, they're promises of eternal life, meaning eternal life in heaven as opposed to eternity in hell. That's a promise or it's a prediction. Are you going to go to heaven when you die? I'm banking on it. I, I, you know, if I was just looking at the, only at the stats, you'd say, I'd never bet on such a thing. But now you can see that God has fulfilled things that are impossible. So I believe that one too. The Bible says that there are rewards for you in heaven. That's a prediction. Have you seen those rewards in heaven yet? No. But the Bible says that when you commit your life to to, to serving him, somehow that's translated into rewards in heaven. When you you put your efforts, uh, your desires in, in God's places here on earth, somehow that's translated to rewards in heaven. When you put your money into the things that God is interested in here on earth, somehow that's translated to rewards in heaven. That's a promise. That's a prediction. What are the odds of God keeping that one promise? I mean, he kept 300 of them. What are the chances of him keeping that one, too? You know, there's a promise that there's a home in heaven for you. When you put your faith and your trust in Jesus Christ and your sins are washed away. Pastor John's going to sing a song here once we're done where, where it's that our only defense is God's righteousness. That Jesus' righteousness is wrapped around us. We're not righteous. We know that. <laughs> At least if we're honest with ourselves, we know that we're not righteous. And yet Jesus wraps us with his robes of righteousness. And that's then what gives us the hope of eternal rewards, salvation, eternity in heaven, and a home that is built for you. And so maybe today you're hearing this for the first time or you know that you need to put your faith and trust in Jesus. God has worked it out throughout human history so that Jesus would die on the cross for your sin. This is his grace in your life. And now, here you are. You have, a chance to, you have a chance to consider these things before God. Maybe your life has been too busy. You hadn't really had not had a chance to think about it before. But today's your chance to think about these things before God. So I'm going to ask all of you, would you be willing to bow your heads and close your eyes for just a minute? Just create a little separation between you and the person next to you for just a minute. And if you know that you need to put your faith in Jesus, you can do that today. By talking to God, God. it's called prayer. Now, you don't need to talk to me, and you don't need to say anything out loud. God knows your heart. Meaning, he, he can read your mind. You, you don't have to say it louder. God knows what's on your mind. It's called prayer. And if you're not sure even what to say to God, because I know that this is new and maybe you've never done it before, this is what you could say to him just in the quietness of your own life right now. You could say, God, I know that I've sinned. I know that I've done things I shouldn't have done. And I realize that I need a rescuer. I need a, a redeemer. I need someone to wash away that sin, to forgive me of that sin. And I believe that Jesus is that Savior. I believe that Jesus came to earth. He lived a perfect life. And the reason that he did that is because he's God. And I believe that he died on the cross for my sin, that he paid for me. He paid the fine that I owe. He paid my debt. I didn't deserve it, but he did it. And I even believe, even though I'm, I was skeptical before, I believe that Jesus rose from the grave. He came back alive again. And so I put my faith in this Jesus. I put my trust in this Jesus. I put my eternity in the hands of this Jesus. With your head still bowed and your eyes still closed, the immediate promise is that then God, the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, now comes and lives inside of you to help you live a life that's honoring to God, to do some of the things that we talked about, about storing up rewards in heaven. He come and live inside of you and help you in your life. So, God, we thank you for you telling us these things in the Bible. You didn't have to tell us these things, but you did. And so we thank you for it. But we don't worship you because you told us. We worship you because you did them. We worship you because you are the the one that has fulfilled all prophecy. You've made promises and you've kept every single one of them. And so that's why we worship you because you, we know that you will keep the other ones as well. So God, we thank you for telling us all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.